Thank you, worship team. Well, I wish I could stand up here and tell you that chapter 15 and 16 in the book of Revelation is just going to be like this. It's angels in heaven singing their harps, everything's great, and no pain, everything's wonderful. Well, sadly, that's not going to be the message today. But I think it's still going to be very relevant to us in our lives as we continue to study and look at the book of Revelation, especially as we're looking at the wrath and some of the judgment that is being poured out in these next chapters. And so I want to start us off with reading verse 15, verse 1, where it says this, Then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Let's see, my clicker works. There we go. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. So over these last few weeks, you probably noticed that there is already some judgment being poured out in different ways and different means to different people throughout the book of Revelation. And in this time, in this chapter, we see that there's seven bowls being poured out on the earth. It goes on to like this in verse 7. It says, Then one of the four living beings handed each of, them, each of the seven angels a golden bowl filled with God's wrath who lives forever and ever. Now, if you're a cursory reader or you're a little bit skeptical about faith, it's really easy to think, man, God's really mean. I mean, why would he pour out his wrath on people? And you'll notice even the Apostle John, as he writes the book of Revelation, he kind of uses the word wrath and judgment interchangeably in those verses. But why would a God do that? I mean, if that's God, why would I want anything to do with it? And let me just tell you that that's not the God that the Bible talks about. In fact, we're going to discover that together today because God is a God of love and he cares for you and he only wants the best for you. But at the same time, there is the reality that God is the ultimate judge and he is in charge to make things right at the end. Think about it this way. Um, somebody steals thousands and thousands of dollars from you and you find out and so you start filing documents and you get all the evidence together and you go before a judge and you say, judge, here's my case. Help me. And the judge takes the documents, he reads them through carefully like judges do, and at the end he's like, yep, you're right. This person is clearly stole from you. It's right here, everything's clear, but you know what? It's not that big of a deal, right? I mean, pff, no, just, you know, he probably needed it more than you. Let, let's just case closed and move on. Well, I don't know about you, but my German nature would come out really quickly. I'd be like, that's not right. I mean, come on. I need some help here, right? It, you have to be just. You're a judge. That's your role, so do it. Same is true with God. He needs to put things right at the end. And I think, intuitively, we all know that. In fact, let me maybe look at it from a different perspective. And this may be the worst parenting advice or parenting moment of my lifetime. So please um, allow me to be vulnerable and forgive me for um, all the things I'm going to share with you. But it happened when my daughter, Chloe, who is about 10 years old, she's, she's now 19, but back then she was about 10 years old. And it was one of those times where she and her younger sister, Gracie, would constantly fight, right? Every day there was something new that they got into it, and they were fighting. And so my wife and I sat down and said, well, what can we do? And I was reading a parenting book at the time. And have you ever done that where you read something in a book? I'm like, I'm going to give this a try to see if this works. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to try something different because something's got to change. And so one Sunday afternoon... Um, my wife and I were in the kitchen, and we can start the noise level going up slowly. You probably parents, you kind of know what that feels like. All of a sudden, we can hear them yelling and screaming at each other. And if I remember correctly, I think there was some hair pulling involved. Then I think there was some toy throwing, and then I think some fist throwing is what ended kind of the conversation, which then caused me to step in. 
And I took Chloe up to her room. And I remember sitting down with her on her bed, and I said, Chloe, what happened? And I could see in her eyes kind of, you know, when you've done this many times, like they kind of know what's coming, right? So dad's going to ask me my side of the story. Then he's going to give me the dad talk, right? Tell me what I should be doing differently. And then I'm going to get my punishment, and then I can move on. And so I said, okay, well, if that's what you're expecting, let me just flip the script on you just a little bit. And so I listened to her story, and um, I told her what, how she could have handled the situation maybe a little bit better. But then when it came to the punishment, I thought, you know what? I'm going to show you what Jesus has done for you. And I asked her the question. I was like, hey, Chloe, do you know what Jesus did for you on the cross? And she grew up in the church. She's like, yeah, I know what Jesus did on the cross. I'm like, okay. Do you really know what he's done and how he, what he did on the cross? She said, yeah, yeah, Dad, I, I know, Papa, I know. I said, okay, well, I'm going to show you today what that looks like. And so your punishment is that you need to stay in your room for the rest of the night. She looked at it, and she's like, okay, that's fine. I said, you, but you know what? Because of what Jesus done on the cross, he took your punishment, didn't he? And she said, yes. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take your punishment today. That means you can go back downstairs in the living room, and you can keep playing and doing all the fun things, and I'm going to stay in your room and take your punishment. And it was interesting because I wasn't really sure what to expect the next reaction would be. Um, I was a little nervous, I admit it. But what's funny was she threw her hands up in the air, and she's like, Papa, that's not fair. That's not right. Well, I, I made the mistake. I, I started the argument. That's not okay. Like, no, no, no I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the punishment. I said, no, honey. Jesus took the punishment for you, so you go back downstairs and play. And what I realized in that moment is that, isn't that funny how God works sometimes? Because even when we know we're wrong, we still know that there needs to be things made right in the end. It would have been easy for her just to say, oh, I'm just going to go play. But inside of her, something told her that, no, things have to be made right. And the same is true for God. That's why we see these bowls being poured out. I like what N.T. Wright says. He says this, justice is a manifestation of God's love. It's all about God putting everything right in the end. That's what we're called to do. That's what he is charged to do. And so as we look at these two chapters, you will see that there's different punishments being poured out on the world. In fact, there are seven different bowls that are coming out in these chapters. And we don't have time to look at all of them, but I do want to put up this graphic for you that gives you kind of an overview. And I want to encourage you, if you want to go deeper, since we don't have time to collect all of them, if you want to pull out your phone, take a snapshot or a picture, you can get to study them further at your own time sometime this week. But you can see that there are seven different bowls that are being poured out. And I love a church in Michigan allowed us to use this. And so you can see that there's different judgments being poured out. That's the effects that the world sees as these bowls are being poured out. And then you may notice that there's always an Old Testament reference tied to each of those punishments. It goes back and forth, and it shows us that it's always happened, and that's why we see those references in it. And then you see that there's always a sin addressed at each of those punishments as they're being poured out. And so I want to look at a couple of them today, and I want to start with the first one, the sores, right? So the Bible describes in these chapters that people are being covered with sores and painful. It's, it's not a, a joyful thing for them. It's really hard, and it ties back into the Old Testament story of Job and Satan, but also on the Egyptians. You guys probably remember Moses and Let My People Go, right? You've probably seen the movie, and um, you know about the story where the Israelites are being enslaved by the Egyptians, 
and God speaks to Moses and says, hey, I want you to go to Pharaoh, who's the leader, and I want you to let all of my, and you tell him that he needs to let my people go. So Moses walks up after he builds up a little bit of courage and needs a little bit of encouragement from God, and he goes to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, let my people go. What does Pharaoh do? He says, nope, I'm the boss. So Pharaoh deliberately turns his back on God in that moment and does not follow God's, um, God's command. And what happens? We see 10 different plagues being poured out on the, on the nation of the Egyptians. And one of them is the sores. Now it's interesting because it also ties right into it. Because the punishment was that because, um, because Pharaoh turned his back from God, the same is true in this situation. Because these judgments aren't being poured out on everybody that's on the earth at that time. It's only born, being poured out on a group of specific people, and those are the people that have the mark of the beast. Now, you may have heard this term, I don't know about you, but I heard more about the mark of the beast in the last 12 months than I probably heard in the rest of my lifetime. It's one of those pop culture things that pops up here and there, and so I thought it would be appropriate to spend some time this morning looking at the mark of the beast and talking a little bit about it and giving you some pointers so as you're talking to people, as you're engaging with people in our communities, you have a little bit more information about it. But I also think it's interesting because everybody talks about the mark of the beast, but before the mark of the beast appears, there is a different mark that appears in the Bible. And it's the mark of Jesus. In fact, Jesus talks about that he first, before the mark of the beast ever appears, he already collected all the people that accepted him. Every single person on this earth that has ever lived becomes Jesus' mark first when they accepted Jesus in their heart. So the mark of the beast can't touch anybody who has Jesus in their heart because Jesus already gathered all of his believers first. And then the opposite is true of the mark of the beast. So after Jesus has everybody that believed in him gathered, then the mark of the beast gets poured out on the, gets put on, on the people that, just like Pharaoh, deliberately made a decision to go against what God said and said, I'm not going to follow you. I don't care what you say. I'm going to go my own way. It's a deliberate decision that happens when, we get, when people get the mark of the beast at that time in history. Now, I also want to caution you, though, because a lot of times when it comes to be, uh, topics like the mark of the beast and others, I've made a mistake, and I want all of us to protect us from that mistake because a lot of times when that happens, it kind of goes to the, like the story of the boy cried wolf. You guys remember that story? It's an old kid's fable, I'm sure you do, is where this boy is kind of, um, yeah, a little trickery, and so he constantly cries out to the villagers and says, the wolf is coming, the wolf is coming. And so all the villagers run out and trying to protect the sheep, and then no wolf comes. Up to the day where the wolf actually shows up, but at that point in time, they, the villagers stop believing in it, and so all of a sudden the wolf gets all the sheep. And so when it comes to topics like this as a mark of the beast, I think it's important for us to be educated about it, to study more and to learn more about it. But I also want to caution us not to say it's this or that or this or that because people on the outside world are going to stop believing us if we continue to do that. In fact, I read some articles. I'm not going to date myself here in a minute, but year 2000, anybody remember Y2K, Right? Back then, I saw articles and references all over the place where people were like, this is the end of the world. Well, it's 2021, and we're still here. So we have to be careful. It doesn't mean we don't pay attention to the times. It doesn't mean we're trying to figure out when things happen or look at how things play out and read books like the Revelation to know what's going to happen next. But 
We just have to be careful when we bring these up, especially to the world around us looking at us, because we don't want to become the boy that cried wolf. And so I want to continue to look at it and give you a couple of other things that um, became important to me as we look at this topic. So I want us to caution not to say it's this or that, because we'll know when it happens, because there's other signs that are going to be attached to it. I've made the mistake many times where I just take one verse out of the Bible and I'm going to make that my thing. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. It teaches us to look at the surroundings, and that's why we spend so much time in the book of Revelation so we can see all the different signs. And so the mark of the beast isn't coming until some of those other signs or all of those other signs happening simultaneously. And do you guys remember the fire falling from heaven? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago in chapter 13. Or even these painful sores being poured out on the non-believers. Until all of that happens, the mark of the beast is not coming. And we don't know when it's coming, and I think we need to be ready and be prepared. But we need to pay attention that other things are going to be happening at the same time. Here's a couple of other thoughts I wanted to share with you. Let's continue to be educated about it. Let's continue to focus on, on um, knowing about these kind of things to have an educated conversation with people around us. But I also want us to take comfort. Comfort in knowing that God has set us aside first. If you have accepted Jesus in your life, it doesn't matter if you're four years old or 40 years old, you have already his mark and, the, and you cannot be touched by anybody else. He is protecting you. That doesn't mean our life is going to be great and easy and simple from now on. That's not the case. In, faith, in fact, Jesus says you know, our life is going to be harder on earth when this happens. But as we get to the end times, God is gathering us and we're going to have ultimate salvation through him. So if you're a believer of Jesus, you don't have to worry about it and take comfort that Jesus is there. And then lastly, it doesn't matter what's going to happen and when it's going to happen ultimately. I love what the saints did, and we already talked about this in chapter 15. They focused on Jesus. They didn't focus about all the things around them or had a debate about what's going to happen. They didn't post it on social media. They kept their eyes on Jesus. They said, Jesus, I'm going to focus on you and you alone, and that's all I need. And so as we continue to look at these things, I want us to keep in mind, um, yeah, all of them, that we have the comfort in Jesus and that he has put his mark on us first. He's also not going to let us be tricked into the mark of the beast because it's such a big deal. And the Bible is very clear about that. It only gets to the people who have deliberately chosen to choose against Jesus. It's not like, oh, shoot, I ate the wrong cereal today, and so now I'm going to have the mark of the beast. That's not the case. In fact, if anything, the Bible teaches us that at this point in time in the world history, even if you have it, you can still get saved. You can still make a decision at that point in time to deliberately follow Jesus in and, and be him, but it's going to be harder because kind of the divide is going to get worse. Now, I want to continue to look at the other sorzo that are being poured out, some of the other judgments. And we're going to jump ahead a little bit here um, to the fifth bowl that is being poured out, and that's the darkness on earth. Now, when I first read this, I got to admit, I was like, darkness is not so bad. I mean, look at the other ones. Like, there's like sun's extreme heat. Like, and the Bible literally talks about people boiling in the sun. Well, Darkness doesn't seem so bad, but what I want to pay draw your attention to is the sin of slavery that is being addressed. And I think we've all seen the devastation of slavery all around, not just in the United States, but all around the world. When people's freedoms are limited, and it's easy to think that, oh, that happens just somewhere else, and this is something that happened in the past, and we don't have to worry about it anymore. But just recently, I came across articles that talk about just even the the sex trafficking that is happening in our communities and in the, even just in our area right here 
in Sandusky and beyond. And so I think it's still happening where um, especially young women and children are being marketed out for profit by other people. And I think God wants us to get off the sidelines, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Another one that we see after that is war coming on the earth and conflict. And it's interesting because the reference is Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, first people on the world, and what happens as soon as something goes wrong, they start bickering. They start blaming each other, right? Eve blames Adam, Adam blames Eve, they blame the snake, and so on and so forth. And honestly, like, not a lot has changed since then. We know that relationships are tough, and conflict happens all the time. That's why I'm grateful for ministries like our marriage ministry who helps us to look at God's word and says, well, how can we learn from this and how can we do relationships better? How can we set a new standard for relationships and how we talk to each other, how we honor each other, how we respect each other, how we love each other? Because it's still happening all around the world. And ultimately, conflict leads to war. And when it talks about the judgment of war here, it doesn't talk about just like two countries going at each other, as bad as that is. But it actually talks about the war, the worst war that that world history has ever seen because it's, G, uh, it's Satan against Jesus. Now, I'm glad to tell you, because I cheated, I looked in the back, but Jesus wins. Amen. But that war is still happening, and actually the place it's happening is Armageddon. And you've probably seen that movie too, um, but that's the place of final, um, of final war where this is happening in that final conflict, and we'll look at that more in the weeks to come. But judgment is all around us, and it's happening in these bowls. And so maybe you're thinking here, sitting here thinking, okay, I get all that, and I know that's in the future. We don't know when, but it's going to come eventually. So what does it have to do with me and my life today? And I think it's interesting what um, Zephaniah says. So um, 3 verse 5, it says this, But the Lord is still there in the city, and he does no wrong. Day by day, he hands down justice, and he does not fail. But the wicked know no shame. So when I read this verse, what became clear to me is that God is already in the justice business. He doesn't wait for final judgment to come back then. He also is starting to work here on earth. And maybe it's the business owner that continues to kind of cut corners here and there, and eventually their business is going out. Or maybe it's the pastor that is too prideful that eventually God removes his spirit. God is in the justice business, and he already starts it. But he is not the one that is only one in justice. In fact, I love um, how N.T. Wright puts it. He says this, One of the most beautiful things that distinguishes the Christian idea of justice from others is that it is participatory. We are part of bringing it about. Which means that as God is in the justice business trying to address some of the injustices happening around the world, we get to be part of it as well. And what it doesn't talk about is, for us to judge other people. That's not what we're saying here. But it's saying that we get on the mission with God. That we say, God, we know there's plenty of injustices happening out there, and we're going to get off the sidelines and into the game making a difference. And honestly, there's so many injustices happening around the world that God just didn't give us one and says, just focus on this, but there's different ones, and it's our responsibility to pray for and ask God, where do you want me to get in the game? And so maybe you need to start thinking about, what, what does your heart break for? Somebody told me um, a term that I really like. It's the holy discontentment. What is, what is inside of you that after you pray, every time you hear a story, every time you see something on the news, your heart just breaks and you want to do something about it. 
You know, we talked about the sex trafficking earlier, and I'm encouraged to tell you that you probably don't know this, but simply by being a regular giver at the chapel, we actually support two missionaries out in Burundi who on an ongoing basis work with former prostitutes in that country all across, and they provide jobs for them, and they train them how to make money so they become self-sustainable and they can get away from that lifestyle. They teach them about Jesus at the same time. And then one of my favorite things that I get to see is ever so often they send me a picture of a wedding with one of those young girls that now has a job and provides for her and her children, and she's accepted Jesus in her heart, and the next step is now that she's going to get remarried to a young man, and one of our missionaries usually stands next to them, replacing the father as a symbol because a lot of times they didn't grow up with one, but also because God is the good father that has entered their life, and it made all the difference. But I don't think that's enough. I think we need to do more than that. And there's a lot of things that God may place on your heart. I mean, we talked about the Nehemiah Center in downtown Sandusky this morning already and the difference that it makes. And maybe it's poverty and kids and you want to do something. Well, they have an amazing after-school project just a couple of miles down the road for us to get involved and to say, hey, how can I help? How can I pray? How can I give? How can I get involved in what you're doing and maybe sacrifice some of my time to help bring God's justice into the world today. I also love that some of you, and I'm so proud to say this, but some of you have, have decided to foster or adopt children. And maybe this is where God calls you to take a step. Your heart breaks for kids and that you want every kid to have a family that loves them and cares for them. Well, maybe this is your opportunity to get in the game. There's lots of opportunities out there. In each of our communities at our campuses, we deliberately have one strategic partner that is a pregnancy services ministry that helps young women in the middle of some of their worst situations and some of the hardest decisions they're ever going to have to do in life and they never thought they're going to have to do them, but now they are. Maybe it's something that God puts on your heart to say, hey, how can I help? How can I come alongside to help fulfill God's ministry? I don't know what it is for you, but I want us later to give some time to think about what maybe is one of those holy discontent things that God has placed in your heart and today is the day to take one step in that direction. But as we talk about God's justice, as we talk about God's, um, God's path for our lives, I don't want us to miss one and probably the most important thing. And that is that God started and helped us to overcome justice by sending his son Jesus into this world. God is not a God of wrath. I told you that he's a God of love. And the way he showed his love is by sending what was most important to him, his son Jesus, into the world for you and for me. So no matter what we have done, no matter how bad our life has been so far, no matter where we've come from, he died on the cross for us because he lived a perfect, sinless life. And he died on the cross and then he was resurrected. And all we have to do is accept him into our heart and then we are free. Then we are marked by him for Jesus for eternity. He has done all of that for you and for me. You remember the story I told you at the beginning about my daughter, Chloe? Well, the same is true for you. That same judgment, that same, um, you know, that same punishment that we deserve for our sin, Jesus has taken on just like I took the punishment that night for Chloe. He did the same for you. All you have to do is simply accept him and invite him into your heart, understanding that I'm a sinner, I've made mistakes, but God, I want to accept your free gift. And if you've never taken that step, I really want to encourage you. That's been my prayer all week long, that you take that step today. Because I don't want you to miss out. It's the best decision I've ever made in my life. And I don't know where I would be if 
I wouldn't have made it. Romans 3 puts it this way, and the Apostle Paul, as he writes this, um, really, I think, um, beautifully describes it. It says this, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows us that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in his present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. That's what we're talking about. That is the salvation. That is the good news that we get to share with the world around us. But if we've never accepted it, I want you to consider it today. Because of that good news, we don't have to worry about the future. We have hope in all kinds of circumstances. Just like we started our service, no matter how hard your week has been, we can have hope because God gives us the ultimate hope and we know where we're going to be going one day. It's also the reason why we don't have to worry about things like the mark of the beast because God has set us aside first so we can focus on our message. And what Jesus say? It's two things. Love God, love people. Simple as that. Love God and love people. And we get to be part of his justice mission all around the world. And so as a special treat as we close our service today, um, our worship team is going to come back up and they're going to lead us in a song. And it's a special song. Um, it's actually a world premiere. Nobody's ever heard this song, except for the people last night. But today, this morning, you're the first ones to hear it. And it's a song that actually, don't you love when people are creative? Well, Meg Ravis, our worship leader, has written this song by herself, reflecting on the book of Revelation, reflecting on what God has done and taught her through this book. And she's going to be leading us in this song. And I want us to take that time to truly think about, God, what is my next step? What are you calling me to do today? Because honestly, it looks different for each and every one of us because we're all in different paths in our story. We're all in different paths as we walk with Jesus. And maybe you're still exploring. Maybe you wanted to engage more in your faith. Maybe you're a leader now that wants to invest into others. I don't know what it looks like for you, but I don't want you to miss out on that next step that God has for you. And so Meg's going to lead us in this Revelation hymn. Think about it. What is your step? Maybe it's time to you to restore a broken relationship and finally forgive somebody that hurt you because you want to follow his path. Maybe, maybe you just came empty today. Maybe you're like, man, my week has been so hard. You have no idea. I have nothing more to give. Well, then just use this reflection time to let God fill you. Let God renew you. And just pray to him and say, God, I just need you to fill my heart today. That's okay. Or maybe you're the opposite. Maybe it's time for you to get in the game and say, God, I hear you. I know I've had this nudging for a while. Well, today I want to take a step and I want to make a difference in the world. Not for myself and I can post things on social media, but because I want to follow you and I love you and I want to make a difference in the world for you. Or maybe today is the day where you finally say, Jesus, I want to accept you in my heart. I want to accept the free gift that you have given me. Well, use this time as we sing the song together. Thank you, worship team, for leading us.